power play in Victoria. Well, affordability is the number one concern around kitchen tables. First ministers and First Nations push the feds to tackle inflation. Punishment for a driver who went on a deadly rampage. Like if he goes on to live his life properly, then I can find a way to forgive the guy. How the victim's devastated family is reacting to the sentence. And in sports, two of a kind. My friends call me Iapeso, EP. The Canucks are about to find out if two Elias Pettersons are better than one. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Sophie is off tonight. Premiers and territorial leaders from across the country are in Victoria right now as the Council of the Federation begins its summer gathering. It's been three years since the event was held in person and the group has a lot to talk about. As Richard Zussman reports, health care funding and inflation are the hottest topics. Around a conference table together for the first time since 2019, Premier's well aware there's a call for help coming from a much different table. Affordability is the number one concern around kitchen tables and at workplaces around the country. Premiers from across Canada in Victoria Monday, the discussion quickly moving to inflation and cost of living, where Canadians are paying more for seemingly everything, including a growing pressure on businesses. One mechanism, of course, that can be done both at the federal and provincial levels is reducing the cost of fuel um, and transportation, which we are hearing is one of the biggest cost concerns concerns for BC small businesses right now. In Alberta, sales tax for gas has been paused. In Quebec, the government doled out a $500 check to support people. The Premier's committing to look at everything from cost to employment while also looking to Ottawa for help. Collectively working together to find best practices, what can we do in our respective jurisdictions and most importantly, how can we collaborate with the federal government. Whatever inflationary support may come, pales in comparison to what the provinces want from Ottawa on health care. The ask is to boost Ottawa's stake, an estimated increase of $28 billion per year, from paying 22% of health care to 35%, a gap the federal government rejects. We're nowhere right now, absolutely nowhere. And um, it's disingenuous at best to suggest that, um, that the federal government's carrying its load when it comes to funding public health care in Canada. It's just not the case. The federal government turning down an invite to come here to Victoria to talk face-to-face, but insisting any health care money would have to be pegged to specific spends. Frontline health care workers worried that politics could get in the way of help. Seven waves of COVID later, uh, health care workers really are at the brink and they need help. A worry any help for the operating table from Ottawa may be on life support. Richard Zosman, Global News, Victoria. The province is preserving more than 400 units of co-op housing in Burnaby. B.C. Housing is financing more than $132 million for two buildings near Lougheed Town Centre. The city of Burnaby is buying a third building near Metrotown for $30 million. The buildings provide below-market rents, but their future was thrown into doubt last fall when the lease expired and the owners put the buildings up for sale. Uh, Today um, is a very exciting day. Um, It's a day of also an overwhelming sigh of relief that we get to celebrate this historical moment 
in the community housing sector where we're saving and preserving 425 co-op homes in the city of Burnaby. The real intention is, is not to allow any co-ops to go away. We want to keep and grow our co-ops. So uh, it, anyone who tries to shut down a co-op in Burnaby will find a very difficult time. Neither the head of BC Housing nor the minister responsible attended the announcement late Friday evening. David Eby announced an overhaul of BC Housing's board. COVID-19 cases are rising again with the spread of the latest Omicron variant, and there is some confusion now around the protective fourth doses of the vaccine. With more on this, we want to bring in Keith Baldry. And Keith, people are a little confused. Who can access these fourth doses, and is there any benefit to wait until the fall? Yes, medical experts and public health experts say there is a benefit to waiting till the fall. So that's the medical advice. Wait till the fall uh, for at least a six-month interval from your third dose for a number of reasons. We'll hear from Dr. Penny Ballum on that point in just a few seconds. But first, I think it's useful to take a look at where we're at when it comes to vaccinations for second, third, and fourth doses. These are adults age 18 and over. Second dose, very high numbers. Almost 4 million people have received two doses now. The troubling statistics, though, is that third dose, just 62%, 2.67 million people. People have received the third dose. A lot of people still waiting to get that third dose, even though they've been invited to get it. And a small number, 430,000, have the fourth dose because it's been limited to people over the age of 70. So that's about 10% of eligible adults uh, getting the fourth dose. But again, to reasons why you should wait to fall, the bottom line is there's a number of reasons. We're going to hear from Dr. Penny Ballum on that, who also points out at the end of the day, if you still think you need your fourth dose, you can still get an appointment. Here's Dr. Ballum. Public health really feels strongly that the fall is a better time for a number of reasons, including it's much closer to the respiratory season. Um, there are going to likely be multiple waves over the coming months of this, uh, you know, pandemic. And they, they believe strongly and strongly recommended to us that if you're going to get a booster, if you're not in that special vulnerable group that was recommended for the fall booster, sorry, for the spring booster, um, then, you know, wait till the fall. But uh, if, if they are worried about it, then what we've well, asked them to do is call the, the call center. So again, a reminder, the science says wait for the fall, but you can get a fourth dose earlier if you think your particular circumstances warrant it. But a reminder, you can't get a fourth dose until you get a third dose. There's 1.3 million adults who received invitations to get a third dose and for some unfathomable reason haven't acted on it. Maybe they're waiting for that new vaccine that's going to arrive in the fall. But right now we're in a seventh wave. We could be hitting an eighth, a ninth and tenth wave. And the advice right now is strongly get your third dose before worrying about getting a fourth dose. Definitely not over, as they keep telling us. Thanks very much, yeah. Keith. Well, if you're waiting for a passport for your summer vacation, Ottawa is promising that things will get better, admitting it wasn't prepared for the big rush to travel once restrictions were lifted. The federal government now says it's taken steps to fix the problem. Kylie Stanton shows us how. Service Canada blames an increase in volume and complex applications. But for Canadians desperate to get their hands on a passport, this is the bottom line. The government should know better. Well, they should have been prepared. Yeah, it's been, it's been crazy. Like, horrible. Like, really, really bad. The federal government now admitting it underestimated the surge in demand for the travel documents, as well as a change in the way Canadians chose to go about the process. Pre-pandemic, 80% were done in person, 20% were done in mail. What we saw February, March, April, May was a reversal of those numbers. 
From April to June of this year, 808,000 applications were received. That's 166,000 more than were received in the same period in 2019, the last pre-pandemic year, and that's resulted in the volume for this fiscal year jumping from 2.4 million applications to 4.3 million, leaving federal public servants clocking 6,000 hours of overtime every week. And that's why, since January, we hired an additional 600 passport officers. But so far, only about 100 new staff have completed the 12 to 15 week training. It will be another month before the remaining 500 come online, longer still before the system catches up. These are all steps that have been taken to address this backlog、um, that is totally unacceptable. Where we want to be is people getting their passports well in advance when they apply, and that's what we're working towards in the next four to six weeks. The minister says the vast majority of Canadians are getting their passports on time, but if travel is imminent and the document hasn't arrived, there's little choice but to wait it out here. This is not something that should be happening. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Vancouver police are investigating the city's eighth murder of the year. Police say a man was stabbed around 8:30 this morning in the Yale Town District. The area around Smythe and Homer was behind police tape, while officers flagged bits of evidence and forensic experts pour over the scene. Police say when officers arrived, they found a 29-year-old man suffering grave injuries. He has since died. A 34-year-old woman has been arrested. Um, right now, we're investigating. We're、um, gathering evidence, and we're working to understand everything that happened.、Um, we're working to understand、uh, what the circumstances were that led up to the homicide. And、um, I would assume that by the end of the investigation,、um, we'll have a, a fuller picture.、Um, particularly violent weekend,、um, especially in the downtown east side. A lot of incidents that our officers responded to,、uh, involving people with knives. Police are investigating six stabbings in the downtown core and downtown east side since Saturday afternoon. One of them was fatal. A driver who hit a good Samaritan, causing her death, was sentenced to jail time today. Kelly Sandoval died several weeks after she and her family tried to help Travis Perry. Her family says they are forever damaged, but find some solace in knowing the driver will be punished for his actions. Kristen Robinson reports. Kelly Sandoval's family leaves court after Travis Perry was sentenced to 15 months in jail, followed by two years probation, in the fatal crash that destroyed their lives. You know, our family's broken and it'll never be fixed. But you know, at least some justice has been done. Crown was seeking up to two years in jail for Perry. Defense wanted a conditional sentence to be served in the community. But provincial court judge Jeffrey T. Campbell said that would not be enough for the harm done. It's just—it's really tough. It's just been a real tough road. February 2018, Eduardo and Kelly Sandoval were alerted to a stranger in need of help—a man frothing at the mouth in a black pickup truck. Kelly called 911. When Perry realized police were en route, he backed out, hitting two cars. The truck smashed into Kelly and her youngest son, even as she pushed him out of the way. Perry ended up crashing into a McDonald's drive-through, then slamming into a bus shelter. Jennifer Tays arrived before her daughter was rushed to hospital. She just looked at me and said, "Mom, I was trying to help him. You know, you always taught me to do the right thing." 
Kelly suffered a massive hematoma to her leg after being pinned on a fence and died six weeks later from complications. She was the person I called for advice <laughs> when I had my kids. <laughs> the Sandovals lost the supermom who lived for her husband and four sons, the glue holding their family together. Perry was charged with criminal negligence causing death and impaired driving causing death, but pleaded guilty to the lesser offense of dangerous driving causing death. That's really frustrating, and I'm watching Kelly's family fall apart. That's, that's really hard. If Perry, who has been in treatment for drug addiction, goes on to lead a better life, Sandoval's family says they may be able to forgive. He's going to learn a hard lesson from this, and I, I think, I, I believe he'll probably hopefully come out better on the other side. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Now, the trial of the Dutch man accused of harassing B.C. teen Amanda Todd online before she took her own life 10 years ago continues. Until now, court has heard what police found in the Netherlands home where 44-year-old Aidan Coban was arrested. As Aaron MacArthur reports, today testimony switched to the local investigation. For the first time, the 12-person jury is hearing about evidence that was obtained at Amanda Todd's house here in Coquitlam. An RCMP forensic data investigator spent the day testifying about what he discovered on Todd's cell phone and several hard drives attached to computers in her dad's home. Crown trying to prove Coban was using multiple user accounts to harass and sexually exploit Amanda Todd. The jury heard Sergeant Keith Hack testify that several hard drives ran what are known as virtual machines, essentially a secondary operating system within the hard drive. Several of the hard drives found in the Todd home had their system clocks set to Central European time instead of Pacific, as would be expected of a computer running in Coquitlam. Investigators were looking specifically at histories of social media use, primarily Skype, which stores much of its data on local devices and not in the cloud, say, like Facebook would. One of the hard drives found in the Todd home was encrypted with an off-the-shelf software that thwarted any attempts to retrieve information. Sergeant Hack will continue his testimony Tuesday. Aidan Coban has pleaded not guilty to five charges, including possession of child pornography, extortion, criminal harassment, and communication with a young person to commit an offense. Crown is expected to take this week and possibly next week to wrap up its case. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. An update now on the conditions of the six police officers wounded in that robbery attempt in Saanich late last month. Two Saanich police members of the Greater Victoria Emergency Response Team are still in hospital recovering from surgery, although the most seriously injured has seen his condition improve to the point where he was recently moved out of the ICU. A Vic PD officer was released from hospital on Friday, and that means four of the six injured officers are now well enough to recover at home. The two still in hospital are said to be making day-to-day -day improvements. Too many truckers with nowhere to go. Rest stops are disappearing, and that has many of them calling for some relief. Next on the News Hour. No place to cool down how parents and kids are reacting to the sudden closure of one of Vancouver's most popular splash parks coming up. And the death of Maurice Mamboucher, a ruthless Canadian gangster who left a legacy of grief. That's also a little later, but right now, 
We all know the challenges of driving in Metro Vancouver traffic. Now imagine being a trucker on the road for days with no comfortable place to rest. Some truckers are sounding the alarm that many of their favorite rest stops in the Lower Mainland are disappearing. Kamal Kuramali reports on their challenge to find a place to park. This used to be a truck stop here. What longtime truck driver Lynn Fortan is showing us was once a rest stop for many on the road. I'd say you could get at least 60 plus trucks in there. But now they're facing some major barriers. And without a place to pull over and park, truckers are losing sleep and losing patience. It is getting dangerous. I drive and my eyes are burning and I know I need to stop, but I can't find a place to get into. The city of Chilliwack says this is a private lot just off of Highway 1. Just across the road, there are other private spaces here for truck drivers to stop, such as a pair of gas stations and a co-op. But they only have space for a handful of tractor trailers, and the number of these privately owned spaces is declining. The big pressure is around private land that's been used in the past for truck stops that's now being repurposed. But there are still provincially owned public spaces. A map of the province shows more than 100 public truck stops along major highways, but drive into the lower mainland and rest areas become sparse. There are only four of them west of Hope. But even then, designated public rest areas like this one are providing a different kind of problem for truckers. Many of the spots are taken up by RVs or motorhomes, leaving limited spots open for semis. The province says it's working with Abbotsford police to address concerns of overnight camping here at the Bradner rest area and adds it's opening up a new North Surrey parking facility just off of Highway 17 near the Portman Bridge in 2023 that would allow room for just over 100 commercial trucks. We're working with the ministry to identify areas for truck rest areas as we rebuild Highway 1 through the Fraser Valley. Until then, drivers will just have to keep trucking along, searching for odd places to catch even a few minutes of sleep in hopes the province creates more rest stops and puts this problem to bed. Kamal Karamali, Global News. Just ahead, business interrupted. We should be angry right now and we should be upset. What the federal government is doing to protect you from another telecommunications meltdown. And the cycling event that was just the boost Okanagan tourism needed. Traffic is busy but steady over here now at the Portman Bridge after clearing a vehicle fire. It was eastbound at the west end. Uh, traffic is moving once again, but it is slow on the approach right through Coquitlam. Through Kermac Cares for Kids, expert repair for your vehicle helps provide expert care for kids. When you choose Kermac, you choose to support BC Children's Hospital. Kermac Cares for Kids. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One and Highway One in the Portman Bridge. The special stories that shape our province, as suggested by our viewers. This is BC with Jay Durant. Real people, real stories. This is BC with Jay Durant is brought to you in part by Van Cam Freightways, BC owned and operated for 75 years. The head of Rogers Communications says the vast majority of customers are back online after Friday's massive mobile and internet services outage. Industry Minister Francois-Philippe Champagne has told all telecom companies...
to reach agreements within 60 days on emergency roaming and helping each other out during outages to give Canadians options in case of emergency. The CRTC will investigate, but until then, Anne Gaviola reports there are many questions about why this happened and where it leaves consumers who have few alternatives. Calls to emergency services, interact payments and Wi-Fi on the Rogers network, all in chaos. More than 10 million people scrambling to work and to make or receive payments. We should be angry right now and we should be upset and we should take this as an opportunity to, you know, light a fire under us. The outage means intense scrutiny of the 20 billion Rogers buyout of Shaw, which was already opposed by the Competition Bureau. Shares of Rogers tumbled as investors worry the deal won't go through. On Monday, the federal industry minister, who has the final say on the proposed Shaw-Rogers deal, met with telecom executives, including Rogers, to hammer home the importance of network reliability. This is, after all, the second widespread Rogers outage in two years. Consumer advocates say because the big three, Bell, Rogers and TELUS, control about 90% of the market, the Shaw-Rogers deal could make things even worse. Shaw which is a Western-based company, is actually a huge innovator in the telecom landscape. One company's tech problems should not lead to a national economic problem for the entire country. Rogers' CEO is offering compensation to customers in the form of a credit that will automatically appear in accounts on their next bill. And if it doesn't make the cutoff for that, uh, for some customers, although we expect to have all customers done by then, it will be on the following month's bill. But the Canadian Federation of Independent Business says credit for a two-day disruption isn't enough. At minimum, I would hope that Rogers would, would deduct an entire month of service uh, for all of the different utilities that were affected by the outage. And the Public Interest Advocacy Centre filed a letter with the CRTC, the industry regulator, on Friday, demanding an inquiry into the Rogers outage calling for a look at whether all telecom providers in Canada should be required to meet a baseline of emergency planning and refund requirements. And what happened on Friday is unacceptable. And we're committed to taking every step within our control to ensure it doesn't happen again. Anne Gaviola, Global News, Toronto. In a region that's taken a beating from the pandemic and recent wildfires, the Okanagan Grand Fondo was a breath of fresh air. As Taya Fast reports from Penticton, the event drew thousands of people from around the world, providing a much-needed economic boost for the community. Hammer, hammer, hammer. Let's see. Alan St. Pierre's. It was a sea of bikes, spandex, and helmets as thousands of cyclists flooded the South Okanagan on Sunday for the 10th annual Okanagan Grand Fondo. We just brought it to town to bring people in to enjoy cycling. Um, I come from a cycling background and our family does. The event has been on hold for the past two years due to the pandemic, which contributed to the record number of participants. It's the most we've ever had. There was 3,000 registrants, um, 350 volunteers, and yeah, it was, it was great to see everybody back. We had people from Australia, United States, all over the world come into town. This is the largest I've ever seen over those years. I can understand after being locked up more or less for, for the, the past two plus years, everybody wanted to reconnect. According to event organizers, Grand Fondo provides a huge economic impact to the community, specifically in the hospitality and tourism sectors, which is much needed after a two-year hiatus from major events like this one. It's a fabulous event uh, for the city of Penticton. It's a huge economic development uh, for the city of Penticton. 
It fills up our restaurants, our motels and hotels. It was so great to see the vibe and just have everybody back in the city and see how busy all the shops were. Cyclists rode through Penticton, Summerland, Okanagan Falls and Oliver and the city of Penticton says the event went off without a hitch. There were no complaints. Usually you get people complaining for uh, closing down streets and you can't cross from Main Street to go to the rest of the city. But there was very little, if anything at all, that people, they understand uh, that it's needed in the community, so it went off without a hitch. Registration for next year is already open and spots are filling up fast. TFS, Global News, Penticton. Just ahead, one of Canada's most notorious gangsters is gone. The violent, tragic legacy of Maurice Mamboucher coming up next. And eastern Ukraine takes a pounding while the battle over Russian resources escalates. Attention consumers having issues with scammers, price gougers, corner cutters, con artists, or big business bullies. Help is here. Ann Rua investigates consumer matters on Global News. Here on Highway 99 in Surrey tonight, there's a flipped vehicle northbound just before King George Boulevard in the left lane. You're down to a single lane in both directions. It's absolutely gridlocked through here. Through a charitable partnership between Kermat Cares for Kids and Surrey Memorial Hospital, when you choose Kermat Collision and Auto Glass, you also support the Surrey Memorial Children's Health Center. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, hype of a flipped vehicle on Highway 99 in Surrey. One of Quebec's most notorious criminals has died behind bars. Former Hells Angels leader Maurice Mamboucher died of throat cancer over the weekend. As Global's Gloria Enriquez reports, Boucher was a vicious criminal who caused a lot of grief, often for innocent people, too. And a warning, some of the images in this story might be disturbing. With the flash of every camera, Maurice Mamboucher seemed to thrive, and he wasn't one to shy away from his fame. This is like, you know, Al Capone dying or John Gotti dying. I mean, Mamboucher was a kingpin, uh, one of the most notorious organized crime leaders. As the boss of the Hells Angels in the 90s, Boucher sowed fear and terror in Montreal. It was his turf and he wanted everyone to know it, no matter the price. He ruled the streets of Montreal. He was in charge of most of the cocaine distribution, brought in millions to the Hells Angels, but also unleashed a wave of terror in this city. There were 160 bodies and bombs on the streets. Shrapnel from one of those explosions killed 11-year-old Daniel Desrochers. Boucher sent a divided law enforcement scrambling. Mom Boucher would go at the, at the, uh, at the, 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 uh, the shopping center where uh, the uh, crimes against persons would go up the stairs. You know, their office was there. He would be there just to, to, to or they say in French, you know, to tease him. In an effort to destabilize the justice system, Boucher ordered the killings of two prison guards, Pierre Rondeau and Diana Vigne. There was an attempt on the life of a third guard. Boucher was arrested and charged, but not convicted. When he got acquitted the first time, people applauded at the, uh, was it the Forum or the Bell Center, when he said a boxing match. His reign started to crumble when his own started to turn against him. Loyal followers became informants. The untouchable kingpin was arrested and tried again. The second time, he was found guilty. Guy Ouellette, a former officer and book author, says his first thoughts were for Boucher's innocent victims. Collateral damage, they call that. 
I hope that it will never happen again. Boucher died of throat cancer in prison on Sunday, but his life will be forever etched in the pages of our country's history. Gloria Enriquez, Global News, Montreal. The shelling in one of Ukraine's largest cities continues as the Russian military tries to keep its hold on eastern sections of that country. And Vladimir Putin could hold power over parts of Western Europe, too, with a vital gas pipeline undergoing maintenance for more than a week. Global's Kyle Benning has the latest. Parts of eastern Ukraine are still at the center of a war zone. At least three people have died and more than 20 injured after heavy shelling in Kharkiv Monday. And officials in Donetsk say at least 15 people died Sunday after a Russian rocket hit a five-story apartment complex. But as the Ukrainians hold the Russians at bay in the east, all eyes are on southern cities with the country trying to gain access to ports. In counterattack uh, in the Kherson region, where the Ukrainian forces have enjoyed some success, the Russians appear to be vulnerable. War wages on, but the flow of resources from Russia will soon stop. Nord Stream 1, the main source of Russian oil to Germany, is down for a 10-day scheduled maintenance. With the price of oil increasing, it could put some in a tough position. We have deleveraged our gas dependency on Russia uh, considerably, almost totally. Uh, so for us, uh, the impact will be limited. Ukrainian government is disappointed in Canada and Germany for allowing the maintenance to be done. The Gazprom turbines from the pipeline were sent to Montreal, but shipping them back to Germany was under question due to economic sanctions Ottawa put in place earlier this year. The Natural Resources Minister says the government will allow Siemens Canada to return the repaired turbines to Germany to ensure access to affordable energy in Europe. It's a move the U.S. supports, but the NDP called an affront to Ukrainians. One European energy expert says even with some petroleum moving west from Russia, Moscow holds the cards. Russia sits on a pile of cash. At the current oil prices, Russia, even if it sells at a discount vis-a-vis -vis the benchmark like the Brent, is making a huge amount of money. Kyle Benning, Global News. In health matters tonight, Vancouver Coastal Health is opening more clinics to provide monkeypox vaccines. The shots will be appointment only for those 18 and older who are transgender or identify as gay or bisexual. The vaccine is also for those who've been diagnosed with a sexually transmitted disease such as syphilis in the past two months, have had two or more sexual partners or engage in sex work. Cases of monkeypox are relatively low in B.C., with fewer than 20 recorded province-wide, almost all of them in coastal health. Coming up, no relief from the summer heat. I think it's like the first heat wave of the summer, and you would expect that to be open, but I guess it is what it is, right? The spray park closure causing a splash. And later in sports, a pair of Pedersons. How the Canucks came to have two players with the exact same name. All right, families heading for one of Vancouver's most popular water parks are getting quite a shock. The spray park at Lumberman's Arch in Stanley Park is closed. Jasmine Bala shows us how a decision by the federal government led to the closure right when we need more places to cool down. The sounds of summer. Kids playing in a water park. Just getting her out here to like splash around and cool down and then she's not at home and freaking out. A fun way to cool off for the whole family. But from this park to another, this one completely dry. 
The Stanley Park splash pad has no splash. I just cycled here and realized, oh, it's, there's no water. It's dry. A disappointment for the families coming by and the kids. Do you miss the water being on? Yeah. If you've you know, made the effort to pack a family all the way into the park, again, it's going to be pretty frustrating if you get there and it's not open. A sign at the park says it's closed for remediation because of where the water from the park goes. I'm told that it's because we're putting uh, tap water <laughs> into the bay there, and uh, that doesn't seem very logical to me. In a statement to Global News, the Vancouver Park Board says... The pad drains chlorinated drinking water directly to the sea and is in violation of the Federal Fisheries Act, as potable water can be toxic to fish. As a result, the federal government asked for the spray pad to be closed until this was remediated. Well, it's drinking water. It's the same water that comes out of our taps. Right now in False Creek, where when it heavy rains, we're still putting sewage and tap water into False Creek. So uh, that seems a lot worse than what's happening at a small spray park in Stanley Park. The park board says 12 other water parks are still open across the city, but it understands how important access is. We need these amenities and we need them in neighborhoods across the city. <laughs> Kids want to have fun. I think we need to bring the fun back to Vancouver. But there is a happy ending for these kids. Staff have developed a temporary fix for the summer. The Stanley Park spray pad will be splashing once more later this week. Jasmine Bala, Global News. Just in the nick of time, too, because it's warm out there. I don't know if you have misters where you are, Christy, but I bet you could use them today. <laughs> That's for sure. I mean, I am a little bit closer to the water here, and we are getting a bit of a breeze, but overall temperatures away from the water soared today. Here's a quick look, and with the humidity, it was in the low 30s, many areas away from the water, closer to the water, 23 degrees, but humid X up to 27, so certainly a hot one. And we've got more of this heat on the way for tomorrow. Good time to remind you, never leave children or pets inside of a car unattended, uh, because that is very dangerous and can be deadly in matter of minutes as well. Make sure you're staying hydrated. There's a look at the Humidex values in through the interior today. So one more day of heat across southern BC. There is cloud cover across the northern northwestern portions of the province and that's going to swing into our region on Wednesday. That will drop the temperature a little bit and allow for a little bit of reprieve from the heat if you're not a big fan of it. If you're out in the water tomorrow, we do have a strong wind warning in place for the Strait of Georgia with gusts uh, and knots up to 25 so that's particularly later tomorrow as that front moves across but as I mentioned another hot one so we're low to mid 30s with humid X values it will be a little hotter we're talking about an increase by another two three degrees but there you go Metro Vancouver enjoy tomorrow if you like the heat a little cooler more comfortable on Wednesday thankfully Chris though we are seeing temperatures at night drop down to about 14 15 degrees so many areas are getting at least some relief at night from that heat tonight's central windows weather window I picked from Clinton. Raleigh sent us this because this lone cloud in the sky there, it's not very often you see one lone cloud like that, but a very uh, uh, perfect sort of summertime shot with that perfect blue sky in behind. You'd be lucky to get under that for some shade with temperatures like we're having for sure. All right, thanks very much, Christy. Yeah. Squire joins us now with a look ahead, and yeah, a lot of buzz about the Canucks these days. Well, they're on the ice because, as we know, July is a hockey month. Uh, the uh, Canucks started their development camp today out at UBC. It included the first pick for Vancouver in last week's draft. Now, if you look at his name, it looks like it would be pronounced, we'll say Jonathan, 
I know we would say Jonathan, but Jonathan Lecker or Mackey, but let's let him tell us how to say it. Lecker Mackey. It's tough, but... (laughs) (laughs) He's a kid who can certainly score at the junior level in Sweden. He will stay over there next season, despite the fact his junior rights in Canada are actually held by the Vancouver Giants. Hmm. Well, here's a name you'll be hearing a lot this season, maybe. Why get a new Elias, Elias Pedersen when there's nothing wrong with the old one? The name twins causing a new kind of confusion for news anchors and Canucks fans. Well, you never know. When the words don't appear, man, you, you start getting a little nervous. Uh, that sounded very uh, ominous there. <laughs> Did. Chris, well, just before good. we came back on, Chris was like, is there something going on? I didn't know what was going on there. Don't be alarmed, folks. Mm-hmm. There's nothing going on. Don't be alarmed, Chris. There's nothing going on. <laughs> okay, it didn't take very long for the Vancouver Canucks to get most of their draft picks from last week to UBC to start the development camp. It's A chance for Canucks management and coaches to get their first look at their newest prospects and mix them in with some of their older prospects, who of course age-wise aren't very old. Included in this group was the Canucks' first-round draft pick from last Thursday. Perhaps one day he will be the latest Swedish forward to make a mark for the Vancouver Canucks because, as we know, there certainly have been a lot over the years. It was a day of firsts at Canucks Development Camp. The first look at first-round draft pick Jonathan Lickermacki, his first official skate as a member of the Canucks organization, and his first time ever being on a North American-sized sheet of ice. felt pretty normal, I think. How did it feel the first day here? It's been fun. Um, tough practice, but uh, nice guys, and I have fun. And how has his compete level been uh, this first day? Oh, good. I mean, they're all they all were were dialed in, and actually, I know there's little nerves, and and uh, we told them that the best way you can get through the nerves is to just let it all hang out and go. And uh, I thought they all did a really good job. Vancouver Canucks are proud to select from uh, Sweden the SHL Djurgården Jonathan Lekkermäki. When Lekkermäki was selected by the Canucks 15th overall in the NHL draft, there was double the excitement for hockey fans in BC. For starters, seeing him in a Canucks uniform, but also the possibility of Lekkermäki spending the upcoming season in Vancouver Giants colors. Giants picking the Swedish forward in the second round of the CHL import draft, and after seeing the success fellow Swede and Boston Bruins first round pick Fabian Lysel had playing for the Giants, you'd think that would be a viable option. It's just not going to happen though. Um, my plan is to be, be in Sweden for another year. I have a contract with Drew Garland, so that's the plan, yeah. Canucks said they wanted to revamp their bottom six, and it started uh, with Vancouver not giving qualifying offers to Matthew Highmore or Yuho Lamico, which means they are now free to sign with other teams. Now, this isn't a money-saving move because Highmore made only 725000 last year. He did have some injury issues. Only played 46 games, scored five goals, and was a plus one. Lamico made just 750. He gave Vancouver 75 games and was okay for what he was supposed to do. But perhaps the Canucks want to see what else is available in free agency. They have said they want guys who are faster, guys who are more physical in those spots. Justin Bailey was also not qualified. The Edmonton Oilers have told Evander Kane he can start talking to other teams before the start of free agency on Wednesday. Now, This is a complicated situation because Kane 
is grieving his release from the Sharks for an alleged breach of COVID protocols. That happened before he signed the deal to finish last season with Edmonton, where he played great. There were no issues whatsoever with Kane. And even though the Oilers say they would be interested in getting him back at a reasonable price and term, he is now free to check out if anybody else is interested in him. And there's a good chance of Jenny Malkin could be a free agent. Pittsburgh says they'd like to keep him. He's 35 now, but if nothing happens, Malkin says he doesn't mind trying free agency. He can still score when healthy, but he has had trouble staying healthy in recent years. Well, bad news for the Vancouver Whitecaps. Midfielder Andres Kubos will not be able to play Wednesday's game in Cincinnati because of an issue with an abductor muscle. He played only the first half against Minnesota last Friday. And in the second half, not having him out on the field was like taking out the wrong Jenga piece. The Canucks defense, make that the Caps defense, completely fell apart. Although I've seen the Canucks defense fall apart at times too over the years. Uh, Christine Sinclair in Canada taking on Costa Rica. CONCACAF Women's Championship. Sophie Schmidt getting a goal here. And uh, Canada won this game. Sophie Schmidt make that by the score of 2 to nothing. So we win the group and we're in the semifinals now. Oftentimes, when a baseball player doesn't make a catch, some smart aleck in the crowd will wonder aloud if there's a hole in this player's glove. Well, yesterday in Seattle, there actually was a hole in the glove of Blue Jays first baseman Vladimir Guerrero. But the way things have gone lately for the Blue Jays, Perhaps it's not surprising that this happened. And here it is. Should have been a double play to end the inning. Gets the man at home, but the throw to first goes right through Vladdy's glove. And a good throw. We saw this earlier this season, the ball going through. I know you might be thinking, did the guy throw the ball too hard? No, the glove just failed. And it's the second time that's happened to Vladdy Guerrero's glove this season. Got to stop buying your glove at the dollar store. He did get a new one, and it worked much better. Uh, good to know. Yes, bargain baseball gloves, not a good idea. All right, sports is going to go into overtime a little bit with what you could call a new set of Swedish twins on the Canucks. That's next. Jordan Armstrong is here now with a preview of what's coming up on Global News at 11. Jordan? Chris, Vancouver police are investigating a vicious overnight attack on a woman in Kitsilano. It happened at 3.30 this morning as the victim was walking near 10th and Waterloo. Police say she was approached by two men who had their faces covered. They tried to steal the victim's purse and phone, and in the ensuing struggle, she was seven times in the face, suffering a broken nose. Tonight, we're speaking with the victim's mother, who says a lot more needs to be done about the unprovoked violence in Vancouver. The story tonight on Global News at 11. Chris. All right, sounds good. Thanks very much, Jordan. Squire joins us once again with a story coming out of the Canucks. There was, I was a little bit, I faked it a little bit. Oh, yeah, you want to talk about the adductor muscle? No, no, just muscle. tell me. I, I got my muscles wrong, right? Yeah, it's the adductor muscle. I said abductor, but since I don't have muscles, <laughs> I never know the name of these things. There you go. All right, okay. Swedish twins, yes. named twins. Well, they're not really twins, but they do have the same name. Yes, Elias Pettersson and Elias Pettersson. We met Elias Pettersson, the new Elias Pettersson, not the old Elias Pettersson, because we already met him. Here we go. <laughs> In 2017, the Vancouver Canucks drafted Elias Pettersson out of Sweden. And then last Friday, the Canucks did it again. They drafted Elias Pettersson out of Sweden. Now, it's not a clone of the first Elias Pettersson that they drafted. It's a brand new one, a defenseman named Elias Pettersson. And that will be the pronunciation. We checked. Elias Pettersson. Elias Pettersson. 
exactly the same as his name. So, yeah. Now, it'll be a while before this Elias Pettersson ever gets to play on the Canucks with that Elias Pettersson. But if they do one day, it won't be the first time that this has happened to the Vancouver Canucks franchise. Back in 1989, the Canucks briefly had two forwards by the name of Greg Adams on their team, and both were from B.C. This Greg Adams lasted a lot longer with the Canucks and was more famous than that Greg Adams. Now, the original, or Elias Pettersson 1, certainly knows about Elias Pettersson 2, or the new Elias Pettersson, but he hasn't reached out just yet. So have you now talked to Elias Pettersson? No, I haven't. You still got it? No. Still haven't talked. No. Oh. But he did get to be on the ice with the two Canuck legends who look like each other, and that was pretty cool. Always watched them as a kid, and they have been, they have been your the stars out in the world, and now... Being here with them and has stay as a coach, it's just awesome. You know, there is an invisible pipeline. We can't see it, but we can see what it brings. It brings Swedish hockey players to the Vancouver Canucks and has <laughs> since the late 70s. It's, it is amazing, and it, it's, a, it's a reputation. It's real, and, uh, and let's hope it leads to a cup sooner rather than later. Yeah. All right, uh, Christy, last yeah. word on weather before we go and the sunshine we're going to get. Yes, yeah, some more sunshine tomorrow. Another hot one, at least a bit of a cooling overnight as we drop down to 15 degrees. If you don't like the heat during the day, Wednesday's a bit, a bit, a bit of a better day for you mm-hmm. with highs reaching only 24 degrees. All right, thanks very much, Christy and Squire. Thanks, everyone, also for watching. Have a great night. We'll see you back here tomorrow.